we're still going to use the slides. Trey will magically reveal those from time to time. We might even have a little discussion. Okay, we're going to go way out, way out, something different this morning. So, let's see, December's here. I guess December's still here, right? So, when I, last Sunday we talked about angels, right? That's the Sunday. Wasn't that last Sunday? And then, um, then we had Christmas Eve. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about something different. I thought, uh, since this is the last Sunday of 2019, I thought it would be appropriate to look at something that Jesus said that most people think this one thing in particular that he said was maybe more important than anything else he ever said. So we're going to have you open your Bibles in a minute and we're going to talk about that. Uh, next week we're going to do something a little different. I have done this over the last 25, 30 years a number of times, but um, I've never done it here at Oakwood. We're going to I'm going to tell the story next week of one of America's first missionaries. The guy's name is David Brainerd, and he lived in what we now call New England. He lived up there with uh, New York and Vermont and Rhode Island and whatever else is up there. They probably got a lot of snow up there today as well. And uh, he was a missionary, one of the first in America to Native Americans in the 18th century. He was... Um, he was completely obedient in doing what God was asking him to do, even though there were times in his life, and he, he died as a young man. He was completely obedient in doing what God was asking him to do, no matter how difficult it was for him to do those things. And some of us, uh, you know, you may be familiar with the story of David Brainerd. For some of us it is, for some of us it's not so much, but... Next Sunday, we're going to do a missionary biography, and I'm going to do my best to tell his whole life story in 25 minutes or less, okay? If I can't get it done in 25 minutes, we'll go to an hour or less. And if I can't get it done in an hour or less, we'll go to an hour and a half or less. But I will do my best to tell his whole life story in 25 minutes. So that'll be next Sunday. That's the first Sunday, January 5th. Then... Then I'm going to be gone for three weeks. I'm going to the Philippines. I'll be gone on January 12th and January 19th and January 26th, involved in what our primary ministry is now, teaching and training pastors who live in other countries where formal theological education is either unheard of or very limited. And I shared this morning in Sunday school class, it will be my privilege when we all get to heaven to introduce you to those pastors and church leaders in the Philippines because it's only fair that you get to meet them because when I'm there for two and a half weeks I'm going to tell them all about you and, and they'll say oh yeah Steve told us about you so um, they're some of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet some of the nicest people you ever will meet and um it's typhoon season in the Philippines right now, okay? In the last three weeks, they've had three horrendous typhoons. And, you know, can you see the pictures? Yes, good. Um, I realize now I should have made each picture a whole slide. But you can just see the devastation. Uh, 
A week ago, I was informed there's no electricity. Uh, do the next one there, Trey. I think that's where I'm, I'm going to be over there at Philippines, and I'm going to be, you can't see the town, but you can see the red circle. Philippines is an island nation. We'll do a little world geography lesson here while we're at it. Philippines is an island nation. 7,000 islands make up the Philippines. And I'm on the island of Luzon, which is the same island where Manila is located. I'll be about two or 300 miles east of Manila. The last typhoon hit on Christmas Eve was 200 miles north of Manila. But that town where I'm going, two weeks ago, a typhoon went right, oh, that was in the eye of the typhoon. And they lost everything. They lost electricity. And they said electricity wouldn't, they weren't sure when electricity would come back. That electricity out in the, on, in the farmland, out in the rural area, wouldn't be back for two or three months. Well, that, so 10 days ago, I was uh, this close to rescheduling my trip because I cannot, I cannot go if there's no electricity. Um, all the pastors that I work with, 99% of the pastors, evangelical pastors in the Philippines, hold full-time secular jobs where they work during the day. The only opportunity they have for any formal theology education at all is in the evenings after they've worked all day. Now, you know exactly what it's like to work all day, and you're tired when you come home. Well, that's their only chance. And so, But for two weeks, by, by God's grace, we will meet. But if there's no electricity, there's no lights. And there's no fans, and there's no anything. But then, uh, help me, Sharon, two or three days ago, I got an email from the Philippines said, hey, lights are back on, so the trip's still to go. And, but this storm on Christmas Eve, 28 people died, and uh, 12 people are still missing. So you pray for the people in the Philippines. And you can pray for me as I travel. It's a long ways. It takes almost 24 hours of flying to get from here to that town where I'm going. And I will leave here Thursday morning, a week from now. I'll be here for another week and a half. I leave here Thursday morning early, and I get to Manila at 9.30 Friday night. Then I have to take a taxi to get to my hotel. And then I'm still not in the town where I'm going because I can't catch a flight that late at night on Friday. to get. So I've got another hour to fly to get to where I'm going. Okay, you're going to pray, right? Say yes. Thank you. That's good to hear. So... Um, then when I come back, starting on, I'll be here that first Sunday in February, we're going to start a sermon series on the Gospel of John. And we'll do what we've done before on the book of Jonah and when we went through the Gospel of Mark. Your assignment, as it says in Mission Impossible, your assignment, if you're willing to accept it, is to read one chapter every week before you come to church. So somewhere between now and February 1st, if you could read John chapter 1, then you'll be all ready to go when I get back on February 2nd. But now we're going to look at this statement that Jesus made that most people think is very important. In fact, it's so important that most evangelicals call this the Great Commission. Now, those words don't appear in your Bible. Jesus didn't say, now, I'm, by the way, here's, here's the Great Commission. I want you to understand that he never said that. There are people who say, that the last thing Jesus said, uh, the last thing anybody says, those last words can sometimes be very important. In fact, if you go on the internet, it's interesting, uh, famous last words. Well, we're going to look at the Great Commission. And uh, I'm, I believe this is one of the last things that Jesus said, but it's interesting as you study this, 
Jesus said this same thing, more or less. He might have used a few different words before the last thing he said. I mean, I think it was a part of his ministry. He was reminding the disciples of things that are important over and over and over. Uh, I, I'm friends with a, a guy that was in advertising, an executive for years, and he told me one day, he said, if, in order to introduce a new product, you have to convince this person 21 times that they need this product before they'll actually go buy it. 21 times. So I believe that Jesus, and I'm not trying to compare him to advertising, but I believe he shared this thing that was so important with his disciples over and over and over again. And that's why we call it the Great Commission, because of its importance, and not just because it was the last thing Jesus said. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read verses 16 through 20. I'll read and you can follow along. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now it's clear if you just read that little paragraph there, if you didn't read anything else in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that this is one of the last things that Jesus is saying. He's gathering his disciples together just before he returns to heaven. But I think it's interesting. Jesus said basically the same thing five or six weeks earlier to his disciples. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20. John 20. And I'm going to read, uh, uh, I don't know, 10 verses or so beginning in verse 19. So John 20, or you can follow along on the screen. It's also up there. It'll take a couple screens to get all the verses in, but John 20, 19. Now the time frame, Jesus has been, three days ago, he was crucified, died on the cross, was buried, and then this morning, Sunday morning, he arose from the dead. That's the context of verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the first day of the week is Sunday, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday's the first day of the week. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And here's where he's saying basically the same thing he said in Matthew 28. As the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. Now, he used a few more words in Matthew 28, but this idea that they're supposed to go, he's sending them to do something. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they'll be forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Now Thomas, verse 24, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, okay, now let's hold on here a minute. We've got a time frame. Eight days later would be eight days when? Eight days since what happened? Easter, eight, yeah, right, John, eight days since the resurrection. So there's a time gap here between 
24 and 26, probably eight days. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. It's interesting. So here's Jesus, who is all God at the same time that he's all man, and now, in his resurrected form, he just sort of walks through walls. The doors are locked. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So what Jesus says in John 20, verse 26, was either the day of or the day after the resurrection but that would have been, since it was eight days, we believe that Jesus walked on the earth for 40 days after he resurrected. So now we're down to five weeks, give or take. We're down to 35 days before Jesus is going back to heaven. But he's telling his disciples, the same way that God is doing, I'm sending you out. So, you know, in my heart, I am totally fine with us calling Matthew, that paragraph in Matthew 28, I'm, I get it, I'm totally in agreement with calling that the Great Commission, as long as we would agree and understand, yes, that's the Great Commission, but he said that other places as well. Now let's look at one more passage, okay? Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 6. Let me read five or six verses here. So when they had come together, Acts 1, 6. So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here he's saying the same thing that he said in Matthew 28, the same thing basically he said in John chapter 20. Verse 9, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, He was lifted up. I mean, that is an incredible. Can you imagine standing out there on the edge of Jerusalem that day when Jesus says this, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he's lifted up. It's incredible. Think about that. Some, sometime at night when you're walking around, you can see the stars. And he was lifted up. I've thought about this dozens upon dozens of times. And my question, where did he go? Now, I know the, the Sunday school answer is he went to heaven. I get, I've got that. But where is that? When he's lifted up and the disciples are standing, then this cloud comes and they can't see anymore. You know, is he, is he a thousand feet up or a hundred thousand feet up or a hundred million miles? Where, I mean, I take it for what it says. When he said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as he saw you. 
as you saw him go into heaven. Now, here's where I'm at. I think the conversation in Matthew 28 and the conversation in Acts chapter 1 is the same. It's the same conversation, just worded a little differently. Those both take place just before Jesus returns to heaven. Now, in your Bibles, go back to Matthew 28. Let's go back and look at this thing that, uh, you know, I don't even know. I I would guess, and I, I didn't look this up, but I'll guess, somebody help me. In your Bible, in Matthew 28, does it actually say, because I'm guessing, the Great Commission? Does it say that in Matthew? Jackie, yes? It's just a paragraph. Right, they title the paragraph. So that's actually in there. That's where we get this terminology. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, let's have this conversation. In your Bibles, and I'm going I'm to mark these down. I want your help. Starting in verse 19, give me the verbs. You can't all talk at once, so who's got the first verb? In verse 19, what are the verbs? Now, hold it. Let's go back to eighth grade grammar class with Mrs. Lambert. When I was in her class in eighth grade, the only thing I wanted out of class was me. Okay? I didn't need, I, if I wish, I wish I could rewind the clock and go back and take her class again, because I really think she tried teaching some of these not-headed young Swedes like me. She did her very best. But now I get it. Okay, so somebody help me. Verbs are action words. Give me some of these action words beginning in verse 19. What are the action words? Go. Is everybody, if you have, forget the screen, if you have your Bibles open, does anybody have a word other than go in verse 19? Make. Now, so I don't know. I, I have no idea. There's 30, 40 people here. I would guess we've got half a dozen different Bible translations, right? Does anybody in verse 19, does anybody's Bible translation use the word stay? Nobody has stay? Everybody's Bible has go? Okay, let's come back to that. Go. Then Julie gave us make. Okay, then what? There's an action word. Then what? Teaching. Just a minute. I'm looking for obey. Oh, okay. I've got a different translation. Mine says observe. Okay, that's good. Obey. Cindy, what would you say? We're on the same page. And behold, I'm with you as the end of the age. So, you know, these are all, kind, they're all kinds of action words. But in the Greek New Testament, it says something like this. As you're going, okay, it's a present active participle. It doesn't say go. It says as you're going and as you're teaching, get involved with baptizing. It's all these words. It's not a one thing and done. It's as you're doing that. What do you think, 
I don't even want to talk about Cross Point or I don't even want to talk about the church across the street or down the road or across town. Do you think churches in 2019 and soon to be 2020 or just Christianity in general, are, are we... Are we really concerned about going and teaching and baptizing? Yes. Would you agree with John? This whole idea of going. Where are you, where are you supposed to go? Okay, Helen's right. Okay, in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if Jesus had been born in Sioux Falls, instead of Bethlehem, and if he's going back to heaven from Sioux Falls, Acts 1.8 would say something like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Sioux Falls, and all of South Dakota, and all over the United States, and to the ends of the earth. Those are just three or four co-concentric circles that just continue to expand. So it starts in Sioux Falls. We're supposed to go. Well, where could we go in Sioux Falls? To the neighbors. To the co-workers. Across the classroom, across the block, across town. And then beyond that, we can do... Mission projects within South Dakota. We could take mission trips. You know, I mean, it seems to me there's no end of mission trip opportunities if we wanted to be involved. But we need to understand. Well, let, let's come to that later. So the, it's, the word is go, right? No, we got eight different translations. Nobody has stay, so we're in agreement. Go and make disciples by teaching them all that I have commanded you, and then those who have responded to the teaching and are applying it to the life, those are the ones we're supposed to baptize. That's the Steve Anderson translation. So now we've got nine translations in the room. Pastor Rick Warren, have you heard of him? Big church, Southern California. He moved to Southern California. I think he was living in Texas, just graduated seminary. Moved to California and started a new church. His first it was just him and his wife, and the first person they invited to their church was the real estate agent that they bought their house from. So now they've got three, and they probably had 100,000 people at Christmas, Saddleback Community Church. We went there one time, and Rick Warren was gone, the nerve of the guy, <laughs> to take a Sunday off. It's quite a campus. You, you can't build that kind of campus in Sioux Falls. Everything's outside. It's all kinds of separate buildings, and there's no, you don't need to worry about heated walkways. There's no snow to shovel. It's just, Pastor Rick Warren said this, because it's easy to get mixed up in our minds, even to think about, we're all from Sioux Falls, except our new friends from Colorado, and um, it's easy to think about names of other churches where you hear there's things going on. Pastor Rick Warren said, you should measure the effectiveness of a church by its sending count, not its seating count. Would you agree? You know, just because more people show up on Sunday doesn't mean the church is more successful. 
I, I mean, in, it might mean they've got better coffee. Or maybe it means they have free donuts. I mean, I don't know what it means. It might be they're really practicing all these things. That, but let's be careful what we're basing our evaluation of when it comes to other churches. So Jesus came to them and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey. Now here I want your help. All that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the earth, end of the age. What, let's just help me. What are some of these things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do that they're supposed to go command other people to do? Help me. What's a command of Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Would that be we're supposed to share when we I think it was Cindy said, go across the street or something. You don't, need to go to, you don't need to go with me to the Philippines. Everybody, we can't all go to the Philippines. Somebody has to stay here. But that's one thing we could teach, right? Did you say that? Neighbor. Neighbor, yeah. What else? That's a good command. What else did Jesus command us to do? <coughs> love your neighbor. Low. Love one another, okay. So we got the love. Anything else? Pray, forgive. Didn't he say something about it? if somebody does something against you, you're supposed to forgive them? Ooh, ouch, that hurts sometimes. Because our old sin nature is, well, I'm not going to forgive them quite yet. There's a long serve. Oh, be obedient, yeah. Fellowship together. Teach. And go and make, it never ends. We're supposed to keep going. It never ends, the going, just keep going. This, uh, this great commission, it's a threefold plan, uh, making of disciples and teaching of disciples and baptizing those same disciples. A person cannot be a true disciple of Jesus until he or she comes to genuine repentance of their sin and puts their faith in the Lord Jesus. Would you agree with that? In order to be a true disciple. We're commanded by God to go everywhere. We're commanded to go and make disciples. Not just, not just make Christians. But make disciples. Our responsibility is not just to lead people to faith in Christ. It's to teach them so that they can grow. And that they learn how to go and make disciples. So I have this understanding in my mind that all disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. Would you agree with that, or do you want to throw me out the door? All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. A Christian is someone who repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus, period. That's it. Now, we get in this long 45-minute conversation in Sunday school, but that's it. That's what it boils down to. I realize I'm a no good sinner and I'm on my way to hell. And the only way I can get to somebody's got to pay for my sin. So Jesus did that on the cross. I believe that. I've asked him to forgive me of my sin. Now that makes me a Christian because I believe that he paid the full price. I believe he shed his blood and he died and he rose again. So that makes me a Christian. That doesn't make me a disciple. A disciple is someone like John's talking about. 
that takes these things that Jesus commands and we apply them to our life. Now that doesn't make us a better Christian. We're either Christians or we're not. There's no, we don't have 47 categories of Christians. We're either Christians or we're not Christians. We could say, I think we would agree, some of us are more mature in our faith. Some of us have, uh, we can look back and see changes in our life. I, I think that all of us who claim to be Christians, every person, no matter how long you've loved Jesus, I believe everybody should be able to look back and you can tell me where either six months or a year, you should be able to look back on your own life and see how your life has changed. Are there things, do you have good godly habits that you didn't have a year ago? Or was there a certain specific sin in your life a year ago that now, by God's grace, you've asked him to forgive you of that and it's gone? I think all of us should be able to grow and become more like Jesus. So years ago, I was with some people in a Bible study project, and we had to come up with a definition for the word disciple. What is... Now, there's probably, when we have... Some of you are in that Sunday school class that I'm teaching. Some of you aren't. That's, but a month ago or so, two months ago probably, we added up. We went around the room, and there's 15 people in the room. We added up. The question was, how long have you been going to church, whether it's this church or any church? And of those 15 or 20 people, we came to understand that we have been going to church. Those 15 people in that room have been going to church 620 years. Okay? Well, now we've got... Okay, let me just guess here. We've, you want to know the truth? We have been going to church, this group right here, for 2,000 years. If that group was 600, this is 2,000. Think about this. We have been going to church corporately for 2,000 years. Sharon's been going to church for, I know you think she's in her late 30s, but she's been going to church her whole life. So we'll just take that number as 30. Okay? Drake, tell me, how long have you been going to church? 25 years. So there we've got two people. We're already up to 55. Terry, how many years have you been going to church? 60. So we're at 185, and we've only added, asked three people. With this much knowledge, we're dangerous. We've been going to church for 2,000 years. Somebody tell me, what, what is a disciple? After 2,000 years, some, we, come on, let's work together and come up with a definition. What is a disciple? How do you know when you're a disciple? Of? By the way, before we go any farther, and, oh, it's, is, that, is that really the right time? Yep, that's part of it. Okay, let me come back to both of you guys. Um, I need a couple minutes of grace here. Um, a disciple is someone who believes the teachings of another person and applies them to their life. Now, Hitler had disciples, okay? People who believed in Hitler's teachings and they applied those teachings to their life. Hitler had disciples. Um, 
I don't know whether you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or Communist, but Donald Trump has disciples. President Obama had disciples, people who believed in his teachings, and they applied those things to their life. Nikita Khrushchev, some of you are too young to remember that name. Khrushchev, the godfather of Russia, or what, prime minister, whatever he was called. He had, he had disciples, people who believed that what he was doing is right, and they applied it to their life. So that's, how, that's what Allison's talking about. A disciple is someone who applies those teachings to our life. You said something like that. And lead others to Christ. That's part of it. Frank, what did you say? Follower. Somebody else. Becca? Could be a follower, learner. I've heard both those terms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that definition. Yeah. So years ago, this definition that I was a part of, you know, I don't know. I tried to remember. Have you ever tried to think back, what was your answer 20 years ago? I hardly remember the question, let alone the answer. We came up with a definition that incorporates all that. It's someone who, a disciple for Jesus is someone who is able to identify the spiritual deficiencies in their own life and with their spiritual maturity and biblical experience and knowledge is able to correct those deficiencies and begin walking with Jesus in a better way. Something like that. But it's like you've learned and applied those things. So, Allison, oh, you're talking about evangelism. Frank's talking about a follower. So if Frank's going to be a disciple and he's got some sinful habit in his life, as a mature disciple, Frank should be able to identify that in his life. And he should be able to search the scriptures and by God's grace and help, identify scripture passages that might help you overcome that sin and get walking back with Jesus. And when Allison's going to lead somebody to Christ, that's part of the process. It's, it's not just when they pray some prayer that they invite Jesus into their heart. That's just the beginning of a, a long friendship where she wants to pour her life into that person and teach them all those things. And when, so Frank, I know Frank, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh, the end of Luke chapter 9. Yeah, wait, I can't come now. I got to go bury my dad. I, I don't understand that when you think, hey, time out for a funeral. But, but Jesus saw right through that. So I think it's important to understand that um, the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion, it's a command. In the Greek New Testament, the go is a command. It's not an option. So let me show you. Uh, Trey. Trey's got this slide up here that's going to show where all the disciples went. When these disciples left Jerusalem, they just kept going. There was no go out for a week or two and come back. Simon Peter was crucified in Rome. His brother Andrew was crucified in Greece. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. John died in Ephesus. 
Philip was crucified in Turkey. Thomas was run through with a spear in India. Matthew, the tax collector, died in Ethiopia. We still don't know whether we've got two stories about him. He was either burned alive at the stake or he was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in Antioch. Thaddeus was beaten to, get, beaten to death with a club in what they call Persia. We call that Iran today. And Bartholomew was skinned alive in what is now southern Russia. Simon the Zealot was sawn in two in Persia. Whatever we do, Pastor Swindoll said, we must not treat the Great Commission as the great suggestion. When these guys walked and lived with Jesus for three years, and he said, I want you to go to the ends of the earth, when they finally left Jerusalem, they left. There was no coming back. They just kept going. And they changed the world. Now, Pastor John Piper, a guy who was somewhat famous in evangelical circles, when he was preaching at Bethlehem Baptist, he said that there are three groups of people in the world when it comes to missions. There are goers, and there are senders. By senders, he means those who use their financial resources to help send missionaries, or those who pray for missionaries and help them send. But there's only three groups. That's all there is. There's three groups of people in the world. There's goers, and there's senders, and the disobedient. Now, everybody can't go. We need people to stay and do evangelism here. We need people to pray for missionaries who are going. So we understand that there's either goers or senders or the disobedient. So my question is, before we take the offering, without a show of hands, which, which group are you in? Would you like to go, but you just don't, you're not sure where you would go? Or what kind of a group you'd go with for a week or two just to kind of test the waters? Or are you a sender? You use your resources to help people get to where they're going? Or you stay home and pray? Because it doesn't do any good for anybody to go if nobody's back home praying for them. Or are you just, pff, who cares about missions? We're just oblivious to the whole thing. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. Nothing was ever said about staying home. Now, we could digest or dissect that verses, and yes, well, when he says, I want you to go to the ends of the earth, he's talking to his disciples. But I have reason to believe that outside of Jerusalem that day, there were more people there than just his disciples. So, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples, not just lead people to Christ, but make disciples. And you can do the same thing here in Sioux Falls. Making disciples takes a long time. Any questions, comments? We're done. Next week, the life story of one of America's Christian heroes, David Brainerd, and I promise I'll do it in less than an hour. Or 25 minutes, I guess that was my first promise. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll take the offering, and uh, we're free to go.
Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning. And I just pray as we think about this going and making and teaching and observing and obeying, that each of us would have some way that we could apply that verse to our life. So Lord, we thank you for guys like David Brainerd, who 200 years ago went to the all over New England and told people about Jesus. And I, I'm just as thankful for people here in Sioux Falls who go across the street and tell their neighbors about Jesus. But help us to figure out how we can be involved in advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, as we take this offering, again, as we pray every Sunday, we thank you for those people who are uh, overseeing and are responsible for the finances here at Cross Point. We ask that they would continue to be good stewards of everything we entrust into their care. And uh, Lord, we thank you for each gift and each giver. We ask that you'd be with us as we travel home. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>